Chapter 10 The Rise of Creed I Didn't Know Him from a Hole in the Wall The second season is best remembered for the build-up to Jim and Pam's kiss and Michael Scott's personality shift. But another story was happening at the exact same time. Creed Bratton's gradual transformation from glorified extra to quirky fan favorite with impeccable comic timing. It came as a shock to nearly everyone, since most people on the set didn't realize that quiet, gray-haired background actor could act. They certainly didn't know anything about his history as a founding member of the 60s folk rock group The Grassroots, best remembered for their top ten hits Let's Live for Today and Midnight Confessions. Back in those days, he toured with the likes of the Beach Boys and Buffalo Springfield, but he quit the band in 1969 and spent the next three decades doing whatever sort of work he could find in Hollywood, including the occasional bit role in a B-movie and odd catering jobs. By the early 2000s, he was working as a stand-in on sitcoms and barely eking out a living. Ken Quapis I directed the pilot of the Bernie Mac show in 2001, and I remember one day while we were lighting a scene that there were a few stand-ins. They're there to help out with the lighting, and two of them were talking to each other. One of them, who turned out to be Creed, was telling a story to the other stand-in about meeting Jimi Hendrix backstage at some concert in the 1960s and learning a guitar lick from him. Creed Bratton the Grassroots did a show with Hendrix at Devonshire Downs in 1969. Ken Quapis. I was just walking by and overheard this conversation. I went, what the hell? I introduced myself to Creed and asked him to explain his story. He told me about being in the Grassroots. Creed Bratton. Ken had his assistant go out and get some grassroots records from Amoeba Music to sign because he's a big rock and roller. Ken Quapis. We became friends. Creed Bratton. My fishing buddy Joe Moore was the first assistant director on the Bernie Mac show. He mentioned to me one day that Ken Quapis was working on the pilot of the American edition of The Office. By happenstance, Ken had given me his telephone number. If he hadn't done that, I never would have been able to get to him. I called him up and lobbied to get on that set. Ken Quapis. He was looking for more stand-in work. I said to him that the style of the show is supposed to resemble a documentary and that we're going to have minimal lighting and no stand-ins. But I said, but there's a couple of empty desks in the back of the set, in the back of the bullpen. If you don't mind, just come in and occupy one for the week or so that the pilot will be shot. Greg Daniels. We needed people to sit in the desks in the background because the office had to have a certain number of people there, but we didn't have the budget necessarily for hiring actors to fill all these chairs. Allison Jones. I didn't know him from a hole in the wall. Creed was one of a handful of non-speaking extras in the office pilot. When they shot the second episode months later, Quampus was again the director, and he made sure Creed still had a desk. The only other non-speaking background actor was Devin Abner, whose main experience had been in the theater. Devin Abner, Devin White, Seasons 1, 2, and 9. 
Creed went out of his way to make me feel comfortable and to learn the ins and outs of what to do and what not to do. I remember when I first got there, Ken said, Tomorrow, everybody come up with a little bit, and I'm going to go around the room and just film everybody doing a little thing that you like to do. I couldn't come up with anything interesting, but Creed came up with something funny involving a fishing pole. I thought to myself, wow, that's an extra step beyond what I could think of. Creed Bratton When we shot that second episode, Diversity Day, I was in the bullpen with everyone else wearing a card on my forehead. I got to ad-lib and stuff with everybody, but not on camera because they couldn't give me lines yet. I wasn't part of the cast, and they would have had to pay me for that more than just my day rate. First AD didn't realize that, and she had me interact with Phyllis, where a camera could pick up my voice. I was making up something crazy about sacrificing goats, and she was laughing. Later, someone said, wait a second, Creed was talking. We got his voice in the background of the scene. They ended up paying me just like a, a minimal fee for an actor. I just said, okay, this is a step. This is a step in the right direction. Creed and Devon both stuck around for the rest of the first season, and they were asked back when the show was picked up for a second one. When they returned, Creed was determined to show the producers that he was capable of more than just background work. With help from Joe Moore, he shot a video of himself in front of the Venetian blinds at his apartment, showing off an oddball character he'd created that was basically himself, minus about 50 IQ points. Creed Bratton I brought it in and I handed it to either Greg Daniels or Kent Zbornak, I can't remember. Devin Abner. I thought, oh man, he's going to get in trouble. That's because when you're in the background, you're never supposed to do stuff like that. But they loved it. Larry Wilmore. I remember saying in the writer's room, it would be funny if Michael had to fire somebody on Halloween while they were all in costume. I just thought that was a funny idea. Greg Daniels. Michael had to fire somebody by the end of October and he had put it off and put it off, and he had to do it at the Halloween party. He was very concerned with firing this person and still being friends with them. For the episode, we needed to have him pick somebody who hadn't really had a large profile, but was in the room. Jason Kessler We knew we had to fire somebody, and we had Creed and Devin, and a choice just had to be made. I don't think we had any information about either guy, really. I think we knew that Creed had played in a band in the 60s, and Devin had been a theater actor, but I think that's about the extent of it. Kelly Cantley, first assistant director. When they wrote that episode, Honest to God, they had no idea if either one of those guys, Devin or Creed, could even talk. Matt Son. Greg had talked to them and said, Hey, look, one of you guys is going to get fired. The guy who's going to get fired will get a line, and the other guy will still be around. So go talk amongst yourselves. I think maybe Greg didn't want to necessarily pick one and get rid of the other, so he let them discuss it. And ultimately, Devin was like, Well, I have a play that I'm doing in New York, so maybe it's better that I just get the line and leave. Devin's memory of this is a little different. 
Devin Abner. They pulled me aside and said, we have some bad news. You're going to get fired in this one, but you can stay on as a stand-in. Creed and I were both utility stand-ins at this point, but it actually worked out perfectly because I was just about to give them my notice. I'd gotten a part in a play in New York and was going to leave anyway. Creed Bratton. A couple of weeks after I gave them my tape, they dropped this script on my desk. It was Halloween, and it had a six-and-a-half-page scene with Steve Carell. It was like, this is it, buddy. Show us what you got. Paul Feig. I directed this one. I remember Greg coming up to me with the script, and I read it and was like, this is a huge role for Creed. So I said to Greg, can he act? And Greg just kind of pushed his hands toward me like, that's your job. I remember thinking, oh my God, this is a giant part for a stand-in. Lee Eisenberg. I remember the table read for Halloween. I don't even think I'd ever spoken to Creed at that point, but he was so funny when he read it. I was like, oh my God, Creed is a genius. In Creed's big scene, he is summoned into Michael's office dressed as Dracula. Michael is determined to fire him, but Creed manages to talk him into firing Devon instead. Creed Bratton. That was the Rubicon. That was the big deal. I was quite aware into the deep marrow of my bones that this was the one where I had to deliver. I had a couple of weeks to prepare, and I learned those lines backward and forward. I knew this was a big deal. This was my shot. I even set a timer to turn on a recorder in the middle of the night so I would subliminally get the lines while I was sleeping that whole week. When he showed up the day of shooting, they told him the scene had been rewritten. He had to learn new lines on the spot. Creed Bratton. They asked Steve if he was okay with the new lines, and he was like, yeah, sure. Then they went, Creed? I gulped and was like, yeah, sure. I started sweating profusely. I was scared to death. Finally, I just took a deep, deep breath, put my hands out and said to myself, I have come this far. I know I can make people laugh. There's nothing for me to worry about. Just look at the lines, do it, have fun. I went in there, I breathed, and I just did it. I don't even remember what happened because it was going so fast. We were just flying. Randall Einhorn. He killed it. I remember as soon as we started filming that scene, we thought, he's got it, this is going to be a great scene. He killed it. Paul Feig. All his weird, beautiful, weird creed energy just sort of came out and just kind of played into the scene. Steve was great, too. Acting with Steve Carell is like playing with the greatest tennis coach in the whole world. Steve was playing with him and knew how to draw stuff out of him, and then Creed was surprising us with things he was doing. We were in Michael's office for like a half day, just shooting that scene over and over again. It was great. Creed Bratton. The next day at craft service, John Krasinski and Rain Wilson saw me when I was just coming in for the first part of the day. They both walk over and they give me a big hug and they whisper to me, You knocked it out of the park, Creed. 
I had to walk off and cry a little bit by myself. Truly, I never get unemotional thinking about it because it was life-changing for me. I was a 60-year-old guy getting a break like this. Thank God I was quirky enough that it worked. Paul Feig I just remember feeling bad knowing that Devin was going away. He was a really nice guy. It was like they were pitting each against the other and one had to convince the other to get fired. But I feel like they always knew that they were going to keep Creed. That's the genius of Greg Daniels. That's why he had writers on the staff be part of the cast. He just likes to take those kinds of chances. He knows he's got good people around him. He's good at picking people. When you allow the show to be loose, you can find the natural rhythms and talents of people. Randall Einhorn This could have happened to Devin if Devin had that chance. Creed Bratton I did feel bad about Devin. Devin Abner When people ask me about The Office, I always say how happy I am for all those guys, but especially Creed. I've always been happy for him because he is such a great guy. He's just so talented and so funny. As the season went on, the writers gave Creed a moment or two in most every episode. It didn't take long for this very eccentric character to become a fan favorite. Greg Daniels. Creed didn't need to be as realistic as the other characters. It's kind of fun to have enough characters where there can be a guy who just has this mysterious four-toed backstory. The idea is that he's not just crazy. I think the idea is that there was enormous amounts of drug use at some point, and what's left of his brain is very poorly connected. Ken Quapis the writers began to draw upon Creed's real-life background as a 1960s rock and roller to start to shade his character a little bit. There's also a scene where he's giving Andy some romantic advice and he reminisced about dating Squeaky Fromm. Greg Daniels. We'd grab anything from his life. He has a way of saying things with this intensity and certainty... And it doesn't really matter whether the things are real or insane. He gives it the same commitment. Ken Quapis. When we did Casino Night, we wanted to create this idea that Creed lived in the warehouse. I think that's partly why I think he's so excited to win that refrigerator. I think we shot a talking head with Creed where he basically talked about how he lived in the warehouse and subsisted on mainly nuts and raisins. It was cut for time. Alicia Raycraft, costume designer. I remember one day I was talking to Greg at breakfast and he said to me, you know what we say about Creed? He lives under his desk. Creed Bratton. I thought there was a tunnel that he'd crawl under his desk when no one was looking around and he'd end up in the warehouse where he had a bunch of boxes. He had a little place to live down there. Ed Helms, Andy Bernard. Seasons 3 through 9. We like to joke that Creed the actor and Creed the character are virtually one and the same, but the truth is the show actually takes Creed into some pretty hilariously dark places, and I don't associate that much with Creed the person. That said, his sense of humor is dark and can be weird and close to Creed the character. But the character in The Office is kind of insidious and a little bit threatening, and there's nothing like that in the real Creed. 
But there is very much something off-kilter about both the real Creed and the character Creed. Creed Bratton. I'd always have scenes, but there was never a Creed-centric episode until I was briefly the office manager at the end of season seven. In retrospect, it was the way to go because I might have just overdone my welcome. Creed is best in small bits. It leaves people wanting more of that character. Creed didn't become a full-time cast member of the show until the fourth season. Kelly Cantley. In season three, the whole cast won a SAG award. Creed was still just a day player, and he didn't get a statue at the ceremony, so every member of the cast petitioned SAG to include one for Creed. A month or so after the award, another one came for Creed, and the cast presented it to him on set. Creed Bratton. I could cry now just thinking about that moment. You know, people come up to me on the street and go, Creed, you're a national treasure. I'll go, no, 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 nope, I'm a trinket, perhaps. Something you find in a curio shop. A national trinket? I can live with that, but I can't live with a national treasure. <laughs>